Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello, Koshi here. Before we get into this episode of The Call, I've got a favor to ask. The bigger the Ausbiz audience, the more we can invest in great content and keep providing quality investment ideas to you for free. If you could just take a minute of your time to leave a review of the call in the Apple podcast app, it'll help keep our tribe growing. And of course, don't forget to catch up with all the best interviews each day at ausbiz.com.au. Thanks for listening. Enjoy the call. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to Ausbiz. Nice to have your company as we kick off the PM as usual with 60 minutes of the call where we take a look at 10 stocks suggested by you. I chuck in a stock of the day and we put it to an expert panel. And what a panel we have today. Michael Wayne from Adanium Financial. Michael, how are you, sir? I'm well. Very good. Good, good week so far? Yeah, it's, it's only sort of Wednesday. So <laughs> half, half, we're getting halfway, so fingers crossed we can finish strong. But it's been a good couple of weeks, really, for the market, I think, for most yeah. people involved. Absolutely. Been all over the place a bit, yeah. hasn't it? Uh, and also, um, Michael's partner in crime today, Rob Shears from Valor Private Wealth. Rob, how are you? Welcome. Very well, thank you very much. Uh, how are clients feeling at Valor? Uh, well, I think everyone's happy when the market's going up. Yep. But, uh, so it's uh, it's been a very buoyant period. It, uh, I'm not sure it's sustainable. <laughs> yeah, well, you're getting a bit nervous at these levels. Um, I, I, I always follow Buffett's advice: be fearful when others are greedy, and greedy when others are fearful. And there's a fair yeah. bit of greed around. So yeah. um, I'm naturally uh, cautious at, at these levels of the market. Yeah, it's a, a, you've got to be really selective, don't you? Yes. The the, yes. Uh, the stocks you're going to be investing in. Hey, let's get stuck straight into it because we always seem to run out of time and uh, we want to give the best analysis we can on the stocks that you want us to take a look at. Uh, stock of the day, I thought we'd take a look at Costa Group, um, the big uh, fruit, berry, vegetable um, wholesaler. Uh, went into a trading halt ahead of a planned capital raise, a company seeking to raise $190 million to acquire 2PH farms uh, for roughly $200 million in cash comes as the group reports full year earnings and profit expected to come in uh, a tad ahead of calendar year 2020. Uh, Michael, what do you think of Costa Group and, and also the acquisition? Well, the acquisition seems to be quite good in that it's EPS accretive and that's one of the key things that the market looks for when the, these businesses take on these acquisitions. Um, when it comes to Costa as a, a whole, it's not, it's not a bad quality company at all in its respective area. But as I'm sure you've heard me many times before, we tend to sort of steer clear of these cyclical type agribusiness businesses. Um, it is a very hard and challenging environment to get right all the time for all your different categories. Yeah. Um, obviously, currency comes into it, uh, drought, etc., overseas markets and pricing. Uh, but the big thing for Costa is they are in some ways uh, beholden to the big supermarkets, Coles yeah. and Woolworths, um, well, so they don't they, have that much. They sort of provide, uh, I was reading somewhere, 
virtually all the blueberries yeah. and strawberries to both Coles and Woolworths. Yeah, so it's a, that's what I mean. It is a good business and there's definitely good parts to it. But as you can see from that chart, as you can see looking at the balance sheet, it is a very lumpy business. Yeah. And there's definitely very good years followed by some very tough years. Yeah. Uh, so my concern or, or what I find challenging is how do you value something like that, which is so up and down and beholden to so many different interest parties and variables such as weather. Right, okay. Um, what do you think, Rob? Um, I agree with uh, Michael. I think it's uh, a difficult business uh, at, at certain times. You just don't know when that, uh, the difficulty is coming. But, uh, so there is almost certain to be events at some point in the future where they'll need to raise capital again uh, yeah. if, if, if this keeps on going on. You know, the, the, but I don't mind the acquisition. I think that they're... Uh, um, diversifying their, uh, their their crops areas, and so as they get bigger, as they diversify more, it becomes less risky. So it, it is because it's quite big globally too, isn't it? Don't they do so so we can get our berries all year round? They have farms in they're working Europe, um, Northern Africa. Yep. The whole it's, it sort of sounds very sexy, but yeah. it's all part <laughs> of the supply chain, isn't it? It is. They are attempting to. Um, uh, make the business uh, less dependent on certain uh, areas and, and countries, and, and, that, and that makes sense. So yeah. I, I could see that there's going to be stop, start, stop, start, raise capital, but in 10 years' time, this might be a better business than yeah. it is today uh, if they keep on doing what they're doing. But, uh, I wouldn't want to own it um, right. over this period, but it, but it may get a better... If they keep on doing acquisitions like this, it will become a uh, less worse business. Right. Okay, <laughs> all right. Um, so they're diversifying, but... Um, for all of those cyclical issues of mother nature, droughts, floods, all that sort of stuff, do you ge generally steer clear of ag, ag businesses? Would you steer clear of like AACO or Elders or because it's just a sector that's too uncertain? Look, there may be a point where they're so out of favour you can invest in oh, these right. things, okay. but that's once every 10, 20 years. Right. But, uh, this, okay. this is a one in a 10, 20 year investment where you can make a lot of money. Yeah. When it's massively out of favour, it's not out of favour enough yet. Right. Okay. What about you, Michael? Do you tend to steer clear of ag yep. businesses? We do. We find that sort of most of the smart money in ag tends to be private. We find that the markets don't necessarily have the long-term thinking that an individual or family might have, okay. um, and they often struggle to get valued appropriately. I think it was um, Rural Co or, or Ag Co, one of the one of the big beef operators. Um, if you look at the the land value. Compared yeah. to the share price, the land value is astronomical, but the market's just completely discounting the, mm. the business value there. So I just think that the market tends to put in the too hard basket. Yeah. And often you'll get brought these sort of unlisted type agricultural deals from time to time. And that's the sort of avenue that we look mm. at or have we only okay. done one in the past, but that's the avenue that we would probably prefer to go down in mm. getting ag exposure. I re remember when elders came up on the call, it'd be a couple of months back now, and the panel then sort of saw elders as a uh, bit of an outlier um, yeah. in that regard because it's almost like an ag-listed investment company that, yeah. <laughs> that has a bit of everything. Yeah, elders yeah. is an interesting one. An they, were on, they were on death's doorstep, not, no, not death's doorstep, but they were in very yeah. deep oh, trouble were, not were. that yeah. long yeah. ago, yeah. maybe a couple of weeks away from going bankrupt entirely, but they've managed to restructure and get all parts of their business doing well. They're very vertically integrated. Same with, with Costa, by the way. Costa do all the marketing, the packaging, and the farming. Yeah, so yeah. it does sort of reduce the risk a little bit, but again, probably too hard. 
Yeah. Okay. All right. Let's get into uh, the stocks you want us to uh, to have a look at. And uh, Rob Neal wants a view on Reese, the big uh, plumbing supplying group, everything from sort of bathrooms and taps to air conditioning, refrigeration um, here in Australia, uh, New Zealand and also the United States as well. Yes, it's a, look, it's a very, very well run business. So uh, I love the management. The Wilson family, who, uh, who effectively control the company, um, have done a great job. But uh, generally, middlemen businesses, as in distribution businesses, they can get squeezed from both ends. So you've oh. got to be very careful, cautious of middle end. You know, if you get squeezed from the suppliers and the uh, customers, um, these can be difficult businesses. Um, Reese has. Um, delighted a lot of plumbers by making their lives a lot easier with their tech, etc. So they're, they're, it's a well-run business. Um, okay. Doesn't mean it's uh, the world's best business, but it's certainly above average business because of the way it's run. Um, and I don't think that's going to change. Look Will they win in America is the question. Right. And that's, that's, uh, that's still yet to be seen. Um, they've bought an established business and uh, if they can do what they've done in Australia, I think they can potentially uh, get the, uh, the margins back okay. up again. Look at that 12-month share price, uh, uh, chart there. Um, has it been caught up in the whole housing construction bubble yes. and that's the, yes. yeah. the tailwind? And how much of sort of main, maintaining what it is now is built into that share price? Uh, I think a lot is built into the share price and I wouldn't yeah. be buying at these prices right. uh, for that reason. Um, uh, so I think that it's, it's 45 times next year's earnings. Every, wow. every bit of upside is probably priced in. Right. Um, so um, I, 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 I like the business, I just don't like the price. Right, yeah. okay. Yeah, it's a, it's a great business. One of those ones you probably wish you invested in at some point but never have. Um, but it always does look quite expensive. Uh, so that probably does put a lot of people off. The challenge, I think, for, for this company is to replicate what they've done in Australia in the US. And the market probably is attaching an option value on the US. If they do have some success there, then it probably does, or they are having success there, but if they have further success in the US and it probably can justify the lofty valuations. because so revenue is growing at about 7%. Um, EBITDA grew more than that because margins did expand and that's probably due to the favorable conditions with the housing market, the home improvement market, etc. Um, they did undertake a fairly significant capital raising in the depths of COVID, um, which means they've got a lot of cash on their balance sheet now. It did dilute the earnings a little bit, but yeah. it does give them the, the ammo um, to go out there and conduct further acquisitions in the US and further entrench themselves there. So. Look, at these prices, it's probably a hole just because the momentum looks yeah. pretty good. Um, but if it did have a, a significant pullback for whatever reason, it's probably worth having a look at then, just depending yeah. on what caused that pullback. But yeah. if you did see some market gyrations and you saw the price back below $20, it's probably one to consider at that and point. And is it looking like the US will come off? Because, you know, Australian business, uh, James Hardy has done it well. Boral has yeah. done it terribly. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's sort of a, uh, it's a, no certainty. No, there's no certainty, but they are making some definitely some good headway. Um, they've got the knowledge, they've got the experience, they've got the technology as well. So again, they provide that vertically integrated yeah. service that people can rely on. Um, but there's obviously risk associated with entering the US, but we'll talk about some others, I think, later on, which have made a good fist of it too. So. Right just depends on the management. And I think the fact that it is family controlled in many ways, um, again, means that they've been in the game for a long time. Uh, yeah. They understand the business pretty well. So if you're gonna back anyone, it's probably a founder-led type company. Yeah, yeah, no, 
got skin in the game. Yeah, All right. Um, uh, Rob, Chris wants a view on uh, Adbury, the old Adelaide Brighton cement, uh, construction material, uh, big lime um, sort of division as well, uh, supplying the construction engineering infrastructure and resource sectors uh, here in Australia. Uh, of course, when you, you travel down the port road to the hallowed turf of Albert and Oval, the uh, spiritual home of Port Adelaide, on the right is sort of the Taj Mahal of Port Adelaide, and that's the big uh, Adelaide Brighton Adbury Cement Works, which, you know, <laughs> you know you're in working class Port Adelaide when you see the cement works going down there, your home. <laughs> what do you think of them as a stop right, while I get tear up and get very sentimental about so, it? So I'm, I'm touching very uh, <laughs> sensitive topic here. Yeah, but, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Um, look, uh, it's an okay business, not a great business, um, but it's in a uh, bit of an upswing. Obviously, construction is um, yeah. looking like it's going to remain um, solid for the next year or two, both residential, etc. You know, we've, when people are getting free money, uh, they want to build things. Yeah. Um, so I think that it's, there's going to be a short-term tailwind, short to medium term, you know, yeah. si low single-digit year tailwind, um, which is why I wouldn't sell it at this price, uh, but I wouldn't want to own this for 10 years. Right. But, um, so it's, it's probably just a hold for me. I think right. there's short-term tailwinds. Okay. All right. So fully priced at the moment. Um, Michael, what do you reckon? Uh, look, it's not a business that, that we like. Obviously, it's going through a bit of a, a purple patch when it comes to the industry at the moment with detached housing doing particularly well, although yeah. multi-storey construction hasn't really bounced back probably as much. Um, they're hoping probably to capture some of the infrastructure spending that the government's planning on doing over the next few years. But again, there's a big if there. Uh, but they're also potentially um, a business that suffers from this um, price inflation that we're seeing across a lot of commodities. Um, and one of the investment banks I saw put out a note on Adelaide Brighton and for every, I think for every 5% increase in their input prices, there's a 10% decrease in their earnings. So oh. although, that's yes. That's a horrible side of well, leverage, isn't it? So they should be getting, <laughs> yeah, that's right. So they should be getting some very good sales increase in this environment, although they're not really, to make up for that negative impact of rising input costs. So right. I think in... I think you just got to be careful at the moment and probably wait and see how they report come yeah. August just to see how that's all flowed through to the business and the expectations. Because James Hardy's last trading update, yeah. didn't they said they were seeing that's um, right. inflation in input prices so in the same sector. In the same, and this business probably has a bit more leverage to it than James Hardy, which right. is not an ideal situation to be in. Um, so for mine, I'll be steering clear of this. It's a pretty lumpy business looking at the balance sheet. They had a big cut in dividends going back a year and a half or so ago, you can probably see from that. Yeah. Um, so I think there are better alternatives in the construction space if you did want to go down that path, James Hardy being one, maybe yeah. even Borrell given what's going on right. uh, from a takeover standpoint there. Yeah, we had Borrell come up on um, Monday with Mathan um, and, and Gorev on the um, panel. Uh, that was, they basically had a sell on, yeah. <laughs> on Borrell because um, it was just so in, inflated at the yeah. moment, going through the rationalisation. We don't really have any exposure to that construction yeah. space. It often is fool's gold. It looks like all these businesses should be doing really well because of the booming housing market, etc. Yeah. But it, for some reason, it sometimes fails to transpire. Yeah, interesting. All right. Um, 
Uh, Michael, Simon wants a view on Australian pharmaceutical industries. Um, basically, they've got three divisions, their pharmacy division, manufacturing and retail of uh, pharmacy products. They uh, supply Priceline franchises and the clear skincare networks as well. It's sort of uh, like a wholesaler is That's distribution. It. Look, it's um, Priceline's probably their biggest. I think they've got uh, Solpats as well. These days right. they provide to it's a very low margin business um, and revenue at the moment has been stagnating. They've seen a big pickup in debt. Um, they've seen return on equity fall. Margins are falling from already quite small numbers. So it's very hard to get excited about a company with those sorts of metrics. Um, granted, COVID hasn't been the best for this type of company because they do primarily rely on shop fronts, a price line, et cetera, which are often situated in CBDs, et cetera. So that's been a tough situation for them, not to mention as well, we haven't really seen a flu season in the last year and a half now yeah. um, because of COVID. So people haven't been going and getting their flu shots or, or getting some vitamin C or whatever people get. <laughs> um, so it hasn't been the, the easiest environment for them. They have seen a little bit of, of improvement in their um, luxury sort of um, self-care type products. Um, that's like your makeup and your moisturizers, that sort of thing. Ah. But by and large, it's just a business which we wouldn't touch because of the low margins yeah. um, and the fact that all those key metrics are heading in the wrong direction and the share price tends to be following that. Yeah, look at that over the five-year chart, down almost to a five-year low. Rob? It's a terrible business. Right. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and, you know, there's that famous Warren Buffett quote, when a management for, with a reputation for brilliance tackles a business with a reputation for poor fundamental economics, right. uh, it's the reputation of the business which remains intact. Uh, this is a return on invested capital of 3.79% for oh. a decade. It's, it's, you know, if you, if you want to invest and get 3%, uh, this, is, this is your business, yeah. uh, but this is, a, this is a shockingly bad business. Rearward looking, there are some potential upside. Uh, their, their clear skincare business, which is um, you know, growing uh, at a reasonable rate, um, that could uh, become a decent business in the near future. Priceline's an okay business, but it's, it's also got a lot of competition and potentially a lot more competition in the future as well. So, uh, you know, a lot of the um, discount uh, chemists are really um, uh, taking a lot of their margin, et cetera. Right. Chemist um, warehouses. Chemist warehouses is, is, is massive. Yep. It's, uh, but then there's also, you look around the world and, uh, and the, um, we don't really have it here because there's laws against it, but the supermarkets and places like Costco, uh, you know, they have just destroyed a lot of the pharmacy businesses uh, in some areas around the world. The, the yeah. mum and dad pharmacies, which is what these guys are supplying, yeah. have just been wiped out uh, yeah. globally. Um, and the, the big players, but the supermarkets and the Costcos, etc. and then there's Amazon who's going to come at some point in yeah. time as well. So not somewhere you want to be. Right. Although the pharmacy guild, is probably the most powerful lobby it group. Very powerful. They've, in Australia. they've staved <laughs> off regulation very well. Yeah. It's been <laughs> extraordinary, yes. hasn't it? Yes. That they protected their turf. Yeah. Uh, just amazing. Yeah. Whether it can last or not. I don't know. Look, I don't know. I, I don't think they can stop online. But, yeah. uh, so if you can buy your online, um, uh, whatever it's going to be, your, your vitamin C's or yeah. something like that for half the price, yeah. uh, people will just buy it online. going to do it. Um, yeah, so. Okay. All right. Thank you for that, Simon, for uh, that suggestion. Um, all right. Uh, Rob, let's stay in the, um, in the medical area, I suppose. Uh, Jacob wants um, a view on cochlea, um, the big um, hearing um, conclusion, the bionic ear, the cochlear ear. One of the great, I think, 
sort of where along with ResMed, along with CSL, Cochlear, the three of them are just amazing Australian global businesses in, in that area with innovation. Completely agree. It, it, it's, it's a fantastic story. Um, and um, you know, it's what Australia does well. I'd like us to do more of it, actually. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. and you know, really, sort of, uh, the government could throw a lot more money at these sort of businesses to, to be the next cochlear. Yeah. Um, and, and it shows we have the brain power correct. here in Australia to, yep. to do it, yep. don't we? And we've just got to give them the opportunity and the funding to, to get it done. Yep. Yep. So it, it's, it's been a wonderful business. It's not growing like it used to. Um, right. And... Um, I think the last three years, the uh, it's only grown at uh, 1.74% revenues. It, it's slowing oh. down. It's, uh, so um, its uh, operating margins have contracted from 29% down to 17%. Um, so Why is that? Is there competition? Or? Uh, there's a little bit of competition. There's, uh, there's, there's another uh, implant maker that does direct into the bone, which is uh, taking a little bit of competition. Oh, but okay. it's also, they've also saturated with the market. Um, so they... Their main market is actually for children and people who have a long time to have a, uh, you know, if you're, if you're 85 years old, uh, people are going, well, I'll just get a hearing aid. There's no point right. in um, uh, having the surgery, invasive surgery to get this done. Um, so the, the, but that's also the, the big untapped market is uh, aging population. And I've been reading a lot lately on um, the probabilities of Solving aging. I know this sounds crazy, uh, but there's uh, there's, so there's my point of view. It can't come soon enough. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> well, no. It, it, it actually it, it's actually quite likely to come well within um, a reasonable amount of time frame. There's, ah. there's, there's the experts in this field, and Google actually runs a company called Verily Life Sciences, which is actually attacking this, throwing supercomputers at genetic uh, mm. uh, problems. And first of all, we couldn't do this 20, 10, 20 years ago. The computers weren't powerful enough, but here we are today the intersection of computing power and, uh, and uh, the ability to research these things and they think they're going to solve aging in the next 15 years. Sure. So yeah. if 85 year, uh, if 85-year-olds are going to live till they're 130, uh, yeah. then Cochlear's got a fantastic business because mm. these people are going to have hearing problems for a very long period of time. They will start doing a lot yeah. more operations. And that's a greater than 50% probability, in my opinion, and looking at the experts mm. who are experts on this in the next 15 years. So which... Right. If we solve aging, this is the company to buy because every single person who's 85 yep. and has a hearing problem is going to go buy uh, yep. a cochlear implant. Okay, all right. Until then, I don't want to own it. <laughs> <laughs> all right, not it's, for now. Because yeah. if you look at the five-year price chart that got on the hat up um, uh, just a minute or so ago, so pretty close to a five-year high yes. at the moment. It's very, um, very expensive. It's trading yeah. its... Uh, Even though, as you're saying, for the last couple of years, it's what, one... 1.7% revenue, 1.74% revenue, revenue growth for the last growth. three years. Wow. But they also raised capital in there as well, so they've diluted yeah, a bit. Okay. So, but it's trading 57 times earnings. So it's okay. priced for everything going right. It's priced for solving aging in the next week. Right, okay. <laughs> <laughs> Not quite yet. Michael, what do you think of Cochlear? Look, it's premium brand in the world. Um, once you're a patient, you're a patient for life. Um, they've got a huge market which is still untapped, uh, mainly sort of emerging markets. They've obviously struggled because of COVID. There's been less implants going on because of less surgeries globally. There are signs that that's starting to pick up again. Yep. It's very, very expensive. And one of the concerns I have with Cochlear is that the high margin developed world sort of infant and child market has really been, because it's now quite mature because most of the wealthy countries, if you can afford an implant, you've got one. Yep. 
they're now focusing their attention to emerging markets where they might get an increase in volume in emerging markets, but they're lower margin customers because they've got to adjust their price for those relative markets. So we have clients that own Cochlear and they've held it for a long time, but we haven't really put any new money in there for a couple of years now. Um, And it tends to be one that you should buy on a bit of a pullback. It had a product recall probably 10 years ago now. It's sort of the, the... collapsed in price then took a couple of years to pick up but that's probably the occasion that. there's a case in point i know i should have been sort more of december, nimble uh, december <laughs> january sort of around christmas yeah. time was a time to buy it yeah and it has those sorts of pullbacks even bigger than that through history um they've recently benefited as well because they've been winning market share oh, in the u.s go. yeah you're yeah. quite right there is so has the drops down each year yeah and even going back further it's the same but they have been winning market share during the recent tough period. And often a tough period is good for the best of breed companies because right. they can really assert their authority and come out of it in a stronger competitive position. And that seems to be playing out for Cochlear. Um, one of their competitors had a product recall, which probably helped that in, mm-hmm. in the US. But Cochlear had a product recall going back a number of years. So it probably yeah. happens with the release of new products. Um, but what they've really done well, I think, in recent years, Cochlear, is they've managed to get people upgrading their ear implants whereas in the past they went through a sort of a period where they were really just selling accessories you know bluetooth Uh, technology and that sort of thing so they've managed to improve the technology enough where it now makes sense to a lot of people to get a new implant or update their existing implant rather than just buying the the sort of add-ons and getting the software updates etc it's great business i wouldn't buy it here either but on any pullback i I would look at it because it is a great Australian success story, delivering some very good numbers, but it needs to come back a fair way before it looks yeah. relatively Like, like well if you priced. got back to the 160s or even the 180 yeah. at, at Christmas, um, and you're quite right when you say there are times yeah. in a year, each year, for the last three years, a good buying time on, yeah. on a pullback. That's, that's our view, but I must say in the last mm. couple of years we haven't bought it. We haven't really bought it probably for three or okay. four years. All right. Uh, thank you for that, Jacob. Now, Raj has got a, a really good suggestion here. The, what's of you on the iShares Government Inflation ETF? Now, Raj says the usual advice to protect your portfolio from inflation is to invest in commodities and gold and avoid bonds. Having done some research, the best option I came up with was this iShares Government Inflation ETF. I wanted to know the panel's thoughts about this ETF as a hedge against inflation. Because the panels um, for the last four weeks, I reckon, have talked about that shift in investor sentiment because of inflation and all that sort of stuff. Good question from Raj. Great question. What and, do you reckon, uh, Probably not a bad suggestion. I wouldn't necessarily say it's the best way to play it. I think that you should be uh-huh. playing this uh, through a number of different ways. Um, uh-huh. Because we're in a central bank manipulation uh, world where central banks are perverting real uh, real yields uh, on a lot of these uh, bonds, uh, which means that so they're rigging the market. Well, central banks they're doing what they should do in, in difficult yeah. times. I think they've overdone it. Right. Uh, but the question is, do they continue with that, yeah. or do they? Uh, uh, let uh, long bond yields rise, etc. Uh, do they let interest rates rise? It's, it's, right. it's the question. And it all depends on whether we're in that, uh, you know, everyone's talking about the Goldilocks inflation, that's, you know, two, three, four percent is okay, and that's markets looking at that thinking, okay, Goldilocks inflation, or if we yeah. start getting above that five percent, six, seven, 
percent inflation. If we go to higher inflation levels, there's not many scenarios where they can't start putting interest rates up. Yep. And the problem with bonds is if they start putting interest rates up, then you can actually lose money on the actual um, on the actual bond side, let alone just the inflation side. So, yeah. um, you know, with this has got a duration of eight point six six percent years. Uh, so, you know, that's longer than I'd probably want if interest rates are let um, uh, running right. higher. Because um, the so portfolio that they have. Correct. Could is be a, you know, discounted balance. as rates go up. Correct, yes. Yeah. So yes, you'll probably do on the inflation component of the bond, but the actual bond component of the bond could right. actually lose money. When you, you sell know, it. When, well, or at majority. Depending, it, it all depends on what interest rates do. Yeah, so yeah. I, I'm of the view that um, the most likely, and no one knows what's going to happen, obviously, but uh, the, the most likely scenario is that the central banks need to keep interest rates lower because the world can't handle higher interest rates. Yeah. Um, so they're going to keep on buying and you know this QE, uh, they can't stop the QE levels they're doing, which is buying bonds, um, yeah. to keep um, you know, bond yields lower than they really should be if they'd let the market um, do what it's mm. going to do. If they let the market do what it's going to do, uh, I, I think that uh, bond yields could rise more than most people think. Um, yeah. and that, uh, that's not where, not where you want to be. <laughs> right. So uh, this so is a, as bond yields rise, you don't want to be in this ETF. But I think that's not uh, my core scenario. Is that the central banks actually deliberately keep bond yields lower by mm. yeah, actually continually buy these you know ten year bonds, seven year bonds, whatever, whatever they're going to they're going to buy, which means that this actually is probably a decent investment if you're looking for a um, uh, an inflation uh, hedge oh, as okay. part of a whole portfolio. Though. All right. So it's a yes from you on it's, this. Yeah, right? it's a yes as, okay. as a percentage of your portfolio. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Look. So as a stock investor, it's probably not something I'd look at. But taking off the the stock investors cap and looking at the fixed yeah. income side of things, we do run fixed income portfolios for those clients that want it. So basically, you come up with a number of different exposures, such as this, which give you access to markets that, as an individual, you normally wouldn't get access to. Yep. Uh, so that's why it can be attractive. So you can look at domestic fixed income, international fixed income, domestic credit, international credit, hybrids. So you end up building a portfolio of 10, 15 different types of fixed income LITs or, or ETFs. And this is actually one that we have in the portfolio and been increasing because whether you think inflation is going to rear its head or not, you, I think we can all agree that the risk of inflation rearing its head is increasing. Yep. So you might increase your exposure to something like this and, and reduce your exposure to a typical un, uninflation-linked corporate um, government bonds, for right. instance. Um, so the thing with this inflation-linked government bonds is you've got to understand that what's driving it is actually real interest rates. So you can have a situation where interest rates do move higher. So say if interest rates go back to 5% hypothetically, but say inflation goes up to 7%, well then real yields have actually gone Right. Gone, gone down. Yeah, yeah. So if, if real yields are going down, then this inflation-linked government bonds will actually go up in price. Right. Um, so that's the way you've got to, I think, think about it. Um, obviously, as well, because it is linked to inflation, as inflation increases, your distribution and your payment increases as well. So for us, we think that in a diversified fixed income portfolio, this is certainly an attractive proposition given the increased risks mm. of inflation. And for that reason, for a fixed income investor, it's a buy as well. Right. Okay. Uh, but as as uh, both the guys say, part of an overall portfolio. Yeah. yeah. Um, sort of one of those those foundations of a portfolio. Um, so uh, Raj, that was a great question and uh, a great suggestion as well. All right. Let's go through the first 
five stocks plus stock of the day. Uh, Costa Group from Michael and Rob a no. Um, Reese a hold from Michael a no from uh, from Rob. Adbury a hold uh, from Rob a no from Michael. Uh, Oz Pharmaceuticals a no from both. Cochlear a no from both. Good company. Buy it on those once a year pullbacks. Uh, at a decent price because it's fully valued at the moment and iShares government inflation is a yes uh, from both. So that goes into the calls portfolio because we're, we've been tracking a fantasy portfolio here since the 1st of July last year, thanks to our partner NabTrade. Um, any stocks like the iShares ETF then that gets a yes from both panellists um, on the expert panel on the call goes into the portfolio. If it comes up again in the future, even if it's in front of a different panel and doesn't get a yes from both, well, then it goes out of the portfolio. Let's check to see how it's been performing. The last week uh, down 1-3% for the month, up 3%, and for the since the 1st of July, up 33%. Some of the uh, stocks recently added by our expert panels. Um, Magellan Global Fund, Domino's, the L1 Long Short Fund, RPM Global and Ramsey Healthcare. Some of the stocks removed, Steadfast, Whisper and NetWealth. Um, and you can check all the stocks in the calls portfolio, head to osbiz.co forward slash portfolio. And uh, coming up this afternoon, Blackstone Minerals, uh, gold spin-off, uh, Codrus Minerals, as was launched on the ASX following an $8 million raise to take us through it. Uh, the team's going to be joined by Shannon Bamforth, the Chief Executive. That's at 3pm this afternoon. All right, let's get into the, uh, to the other five stocks you want us to take a look at this half hour. And uh, Rob, uh, Jules wants a view on PointsBet, the, uh, the gaming business, uh, primarily in the US, isn't it? It's, yep. uh, it's operations. And got in on NBA, was it? Um, no, NBC's became NBC's betting partner for, uh, for the NBA. It's, it's uh, secured some decent partnerships. Yes. And, uh, uh, Has it been listed long? Has it? No, in the no, last year. Or yeah, two. so it's it's and it's doubling sales every year or so. Yeah. Uh, so it's growing rapidly. Um, that doesn't necessarily mean it's actually going to be uh, wildly profitable uh, once it starts to slow down its growth. Uh, you know, we're looking at gross margins here of forty-two percent, uh, but it's losing a lot of money uh, to try grow. Um, so it's very speculative in terms of where it is in the stage of its cycle. Uh, we avoid companies which don't actually make any money. Um, right. uh, I like to buy companies which have already won and are wildly profitable and you can't, you know, you can't compete with them at all. Uh, this yeah. is not that. There's actually quite a bit of competition. It's, a, it's sort of an emerging uh, market because uh, they're only just starting to open up the regulations in the US to allow these sort of things. Yeah. Um, so, uh, who's going to win the race? There's about seven or eight players in the moment. It looks like it might go down to five or six. There's a bit of uh, consolidation. Um, uh, anyone could win the race. Um, yeah. I wouldn't want to be in this stock um, over the next couple of years because there could be someone else who uh, you know, gets a Mark Wahlberg and uh, does uh, spends a lot of money on uh, advertising a lot of lad bets or someone like that. You know, so the, these kind of businesses will throw enormous amounts of money to win. Yeah, and it's 
he who uh, is a little bit crazy than the other person to uh, yeah. to grow faster than everyone else. Uh, it's the biggest marketing it, campaign, isn't it? Oh, yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah. But, Get your money back if you're ahead at half time and all that yeah. sort of stuff. But it's also something right. you could have on your phone. You could have four apps and you just go for the best odds. Yeah. So there's, there's, there's not much uh, competitive advantage about being the biggest or anything like that. So if you... If you if someone's a betting person and they can get better odds on, on they just look at four different apps, yeah. you know, I'll just go to the cheapest the one with the best odds. Therefore, it's someone else can just keep continually take your margin, even if you get to 10 times the size of what they currently are. Yeah. So there's very low barriers to entry uh, to come along and, uh, and say, well, mm. radio, here's, here's, okay. here's a couple of cent better odds. All right. Yeah. Um, there we go. Only been listed the last couple of years. Uh, what do you reckon, Mike? This has been one of our best performers um, over the last <laughs> Sorry, couple mate. of years. No, yeah, yeah. no you, you got in on, on the float, did you? No, not on the float. It's probably Pretty around close. sort of 2020, um, right. maybe about $3, $4 for some clients. Very few clients still hold their initial parcel because we have been reducing because it is ridiculously expensive, no two ways right. about it. Yeah. Some very valid points raised there, but I think that the difference at the moment is it's a industry that's really evolving rapidly in the US, yep. and they were fortunate enough to have boots on the ground there early enough, which gave them a bit of a first mover advantage. They're out and out the fourth biggest player in the US at the moment. They had the most revenue wagered through their platform on the Super Bowl, for instance. They've got access to the NBA. Um, they've got the legal rights because the whole thing is in the US it's traditionally been quite conservative when it's come mm. to wagering markets you either have to be on the track or in Vegas but slowly yeah. but surely it's been I was really surprised with that yeah. when they first launched I thought wow I thought the US would be the home of gambling well it's, it's, it, it is but it's not the way that we know it here in Australia yes. where everyone's gambling crazy with 15 different apps on their phone it's a quite yeah. a new concept over there um, so what's happening at the moment is each individual state slowly but surely is deregulating their gaming laws, whereas once upon a time it was completely outlawed, all of a sudden you've had Kansas City, New Jersey, Indiana. So I think BetMakers, or sorry, not BetMakers, PointsBet is looking to add, I think, 12 new states, which mm -hmm. are going to be opening up over the next 12 months or so, which will bring their total states that they can deliver their services into about 18 different states. And you can think about the huge markets. Every state is basically one new Australia being yeah. opened up to them every time. So they're in a pretty good position at the moment. They sign this big deal with NBC, which has a lot of the NFL on it. They get, as part of that deal, $500 million worth of free advertising over, or I think they've got to spend maybe $500 million worth of advertising. But there's some arrangement in there which gives them a good avenue to do some big advertising via NBC, which is the huge sport network over there. So they've managed to be first mover, deliver some good partnerships. Now it's about execution. Um, I wouldn't be buying at these prices, but if you're in there, I'll continue to hold because there's a lot of exciting things going on. Um, but the business is doing very, very well, mm. delivering some very, very good growth numbers. Okay. So one to keep an eye on for sure, I think. All right. Okay, Jules, there you go. Um, now, Michael Tarkos uh, wants a view on Marley Spoon, the, uh, the big home-delivered meal kits, meal service, if you like, that... Uh, this time last year when everyone was in lockdown was one of the darlings of the market, wasn't it, Marley Spoon? Yeah, so Marley Spoon. Um, and Woolworths bought a stake in it too, I think. Possibly, I, I yeah. must admit, I'm not 100% across this one. Uh, it's probably yeah. the first time I've looked at it in any detail, but I am familiar with the business, given yeah. their advertising. Um, and it's basically, they provide you with the ingredients that you need yeah. to sort of put together. And it's quite a, a functional product, not only because of lockdown, but also given that everyone's pretty time poor these days to have this delivered to you economically um, for you just to whip together when you get home from work has been a pretty attractive concept for many people. Um, they've seen some explosive revenue growth numbers over the last 12 months. 
But the question is, and I'm looking at the chart, the market's probably reflecting that, whether or not that explosive growth will be maintained going forward or whether that was a one-off sugar hit because yeah. of COVID. Yeah. And I think there's still a little bit of water to go under the bridge there. So you probably want to wait, see how they report their earnings, see how they're transitioning back to a more normalised environment. From that before... chart, guess where COVID hit. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but they, they, do have, um, they do have operations not only in Australia, but overseas as well. Yeah. Um, but... Yeah, one to, again, one to keep an eye, but I struggle to buy it at the moment, just given a lot of that good news has been factored into yeah. the share price. Yeah, completely agree. It's certainly a COVID winner. Um, as Michael said, uh, is it going to continue being a COVID winner? And I, 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 I don't know. Uh, it's it's uh, like Michael, I only just looked at this business when I was told to look at it yesterday. And uh, um, it's a very, very um, top-down look. And it's... Um, just the structure of these sort of businesses, it's, I don't think there's any economies of scale too much in terms of um, getting that much larger to get increased profits that much. So, you know, gross profit margins are 30% or so. Um, they don't seem to be increasing as they expand. Um, so it's, it's going to be a low margin business um, because delivery is difficult. And, uh, you know, you look at something like an Amazon, they'll get a delivery to a suburb um, and they'll do 10 deliveries in that suburb in an hour. If you are a Marley yeah. Spoon, you're not going to have the same sort of delivery penetration. Yeah. Uh, therefore, uh, I don't think you're going to get the same sort of economy to scale as getting much larger as an Amazon would. Yeah. Um, so it's a loss-making business there. Yes, they've grown the revenues, but also grown the share count. The share count's gone from 115 million shares to 187 million shares. So as it grows, they're um, needing um, other people's money to keep the lights on. Um, I don't like businesses which uh, require you to give away your piece of the pizza yeah. uh, to keep the lights on. Yeah. Uh, and it may get to scale, but it's not anywhere near that at the moment. Okay. Um, there seems to be thousands of these things popping up as well. So I'm not sure what the competitive advantages long term they've obviously been marketing a lot yeah. that's probably why everyone's aware of the name a lot of people would be aware of it but yeah. long term it's hard to see um woolies is a strategic yeah. shareholder in it which i suppose gives it some credibility yeah, in, in that yeah. sector as well yeah. um all right uh, thank you for that taco so luke wants a view rob on northern star resources the uh, um one of the premier gold miners here in Australia? Yeah, and uh, the acquisition of Saracen, well, no, yeah. the merger, uh, was... Um, well, was the, mega, the mega merger. The mega merger, the year, yeah, exactly, it? exactly. So it's now a pretty large business, um, yeah. and uh, it's well run, um, obviously. Um, it would be the, the largest gold producer in Australia now, wouldn't it, after, uh, after the merger? I think second I think still is Number two, number two Newcrest still slightly larger. Definitely uh, close. Uh, I think it will be the largest one uh, if everything yeah. keeps going. It's been growing faster. It's more profitable than Newcrest. It's, uh, so um, Newcrest has got other risks, et cetera, but, uh, and it's not, not as profitable. Uh, yeah. their, their costs are higher. So, um, so it, you know, it's, it's all external costs. is about 1,200 bucks. It, it was a bit lower. It's, it, goes, it, it changes. About 1,200 bucks an ounce US. So it's, uh, here we are. To get out of the ground. Yeah, yep. so it's seventeen sixty. So it's, it's pretty decently profit, profitable business. Um, they now own the whole of the super pit over in Kalgoorlie. It, uh, so that sort of may help with their operations in terms of merging that side of things. Um, so it's, it's a good business. We own it. It's, um, I look at gold companies, uh, once again on that, uh, previously we were talking about uh, the uh, iShares inflation linked hedge. This is, this is where we have a very small part of the portfolio not that I expect to actually make money on these things. It's right. it's just the 
the tail risk of a 1970s uh, huge inflation bout is not zero and is probably increased. Right. So if inflation So does, this is your inflation hedge. This is yeah, so but you know, you only want, you know, low single digit percentages of your portfolio in these things because during nineteen seventies the gold companies all went up five hundred to seven hundred percent. Yeah. So the gold index actually went up it's five hundred percent. So that means you could find better gold companies than that, which did better. So um, if we have sustained higher inflation like they did in the 70s, so that's 7 to 13% inflation, yeah. this is where you want to have some of your money. But, uh, so um, uh, I think, and if gold goes to $2,500 an ounce, uh, the profits on these things are wildly right. profitable and you get margin expansion. So, so do you think there's still the investor sentiment that says gold is my inflation hedge? No, it's come off a lot thanks to the uh, crypto space. It's, uh, but I, as we've discussed I, I, previously... I, I do find that, that staggering, <laughs> that people would go, cryptos are my inflation hedge. Yeah. Oh, thank yeah. I don't think that's that sophisticated. That, that, that's changing that. this week. No. It, uh, uh, yeah, so, well, <laughs> yeah. well, Bitcoin, what, stabilised a bit last night. Yeah, it went below 30,000. Uh, but yeah, it's, it's been wild, yeah, hasn't it? I think these things are potentially worth zero. Um, so they are breaking every law under the sun for anti-money laundering and, uh, and, um, and sanctions. They, they just don't meet. The whole idea of decentralisation is to avoid anti-money laundering and, uh, and sanctions rules. Yeah. Uh, and there's not, I don't think there's many scenarios where the governments don't come in and highly regulate this and if not, completely ban these things. Yeah. Um, and they go to zero. And China's starting. And chi China, <laughs> South Korea, is, so there's a lot of countries who are already showing yeah. what's probably going to happen. So that will be good for gold correct, as correct, an inflation correct. hedge. Yeah. You know, the, the central banks of the world hold lots of gold in their vaults. Uh, they don't hold crypto in their vaults. And yeah. uh, so I think that gold does have some sort of storage of wealth, uh, even though it's okay. been a bit out of favour. And in the sector, yeah. this would be your preferred? This is our favourite gold company in Australia. Right. Yeah, okay. So there's one or two that we have own overseas. Okay. Yeah. So you'd be buying that? Yes, that's prices. a buy. Yeah. And it's out of favour as well. Yeah, so Northern Star, um, great quality assets, very high grades. Uh, the costs of production are slightly higher than something like an evolution mining. The merger with Saracen probably sees those cost of production increase somewhat. It's going to be a little bit messy in the next six months as they sort of try and bed down the acquisition or the merger um, and the numbers cycle through. I think they kick in, they'll kick in, I think, from February, but we'll get yep. a good glance at them in August. Um, the thing is, if you expect the gold price to rally, having leverage to a higher cost producer is actually probably a good idea. Whether inflation is a main driver of gold. I, I think through history it is shown to be a decent inflation hedge, but I think it depends on, gold's performance depends on the type of inflation that we're seeing, whether it's cost, cost push, demand pull, wage, all that sort of thing. Rudy sort of bangs on about it all the time, <laughs> about whether or not gold's a like-for-like -like inflation hedge, but I think yeah. in, in many situations in inflation it has been. Um, Northern Star, WA-based assets. Um, we have seen the Aussie dollar continue to push higher. Some people expect it to go a lot higher than it is. That is a bit of a negative for Australian gold producers because obviously they're selling their, their gold in US dollars, incurring their costs in Australian dollars. There's also been a lot of competition starting to emerge amongst workers because of the commodity industry is going gangbusters at the moment. So yeah. all of a sudden you're having to pay someone a bit more for each hour of work to get them away from the BHP mines or Roy Hill, whatever it may be. So that's something to consider. But at these prices, um, we like Northern Star, we'll be buyers mm -hmm. of it at these levels. Because um, look, it has trended a lot higher uh, than it's been. You do have to be careful though, if rates do start to move higher,
quickly, they'll put a bit of a handbrake on gold. But I think, again, as part of a diversified portfolio, yeah. I think these companies like Northern Star Evolution hold their own as businesses. Their balance sheets are very, very good. Northern Star's got some more aging uh, resources, but they've also got a lot of exploration assets as well, which should be able to fill the void as those aging assets roll And they've off. done the merger, right? They've done the merger. Because sometimes the resource stocks, when yeah. they make a lot of money, go and buy stuff and stuff it up. Well, I think Saracen was a pretty good business in of right. its own right. And okay. it is really a merger of not exactly, because I think Northern Star shareholders gave, I think, 0.3 of their shares for one, right. for one Saracen share. But it was pretty much equal and it does create what should be a decent uh, second uh, competitor to Newcrest, which over time I agree will take over given their quality of assets and their management. Okay, all right. So uh, good nod there on Northern Star. Um, next stock uh, to have a look at, Rob, is Illumina. Um, as the name suggests, invests in uh, bauxite mining and uh, also the Portland cement melter in Victoria and and one other big smelter. Yep, yep. It's um, not a business I'd like to own long term. It's, uh, it's got a return on investment capital of 6.8% for the last decade. Um, in the aluminium space, in the bauxite space, obviously, you know, difference between aluminium, uh, bauxite and actually the uh, smeltering, etc. Yep. So it's sort of two different sized businesses. But you know, you're competing against the Chinese and the Russians, um, and uh, they don't care about margins as much as and profits, etc. Um, a lot of state-owned enterprises in this space, yeah. they compare. Uh, they're just about output, and uh, the, you know the increase in prices uh, for aluminium um, aren't necessarily going to translate into increase in. Um, uh, in profits for Illumina because the uh, the other competitors are just going to keep on right, uh, yeah. reducing their prices over time for the, the yeah. end output product. So um, I, I don't like competing against the Chinese in mining spaces um, and I think that the, the Chinese will be the Jeff Bezos of this, you know, your margin is my opportunity. And, uh, so right. um, limited upside but potentially significant downside if, if the, uh, the tide goes out um, on mm. On these, on these things. Okay, Michael? Yeah, agree with much of that. Um, Illumina owns 40% of Alcoa's um, aluminium and, and, and that sort of business, yeah. um, which has 10% of the market share globally. So in some ways, <coughs> Illumina is just a, a profit distribution office for the Alcoa um, business. Um, the, the thing is, the, the assets are very good quality um, as far as aluminium goes. Um, but the thing is, aluminium is abundant, bauxite, is not that hard either to get it out of the ground and, it, and the barriers to entry are fairly low. It's just whether or not people want to turn their attention to explore, exploring and developing those assets. But aluminium's, um, alumina, sorry's assets are in the bottom quartile of the cost curve. They've done a good job of keeping, on their, keeping their good smelters and getting rid of their high cost smelters. Um, but the concern is long term is China. China can behave irrational in this market for a period of time which can put enormous pressure on a single commodity producer yeah. such as Illumina. So although the going is good at the moment, the electrification of transport systems keeps sort of creating demand for yeah. aluminium, I just do fear that at some point in the future there will be a bit of a squeeze and margins will come under pressure and there's not a lot this business can do about that if that does occur. And it happened a couple of years ago, or maybe not a couple, maybe five years ago now, we yeah. saw a similar sort of scenario unfold where China entered the market, flooded it, with excess supply and all of a sudden this company was doing it very, very tough. So that scenario is not unforeseeable in the future. Okay. All right. So I know on Illumina and our final stock, Philip wants a view 
Uh, Rob on Coles, the big supermarket chain. Yeah, um, look, it's it's a reasonable business, uh, somewhat uh, still a duopoly. Um, Audi is not going to stop coming though. It, uh, so uh, it's been well managed over the last couple of years. It's yeah. uh, since it's sort of spun off. Um, uh, I don't dislike the business. I, I, I'm just concerned with competition going forward, um, mainly from Costco, Aldi, and Amazon. I'll keep on talking about Amazon today, but mm-hmm. <laughs> it's uh, in every business. It's probably uh, the thing that's coming for you. Um, but uh, so, if you look at what happened to the UK space for their premium, we'll call it premium supermarkets, when the uh, discount supermarkets came through, like Aldi and Lidl, etc., uh, the margins went from five point something down to one point something. Uh, and so there was a 70% fall in profits once the, um, the discount supermarkets like the Audis got a percentage of market share. Mm. Uh, and I don't think that's happened yet in Australia. I think Audis still got more market share to come. And if we go through a, some, some sort of a less buoyant period, people go down the spectrum to shop at uh, cheaper shops. So Audi, Audi gets, so, so I think margin compression on their net margins, which is about six, uh, 6% at the moment, you know, I, I wouldn't blink an eye if we sort of saw a one uh, net margin at some point in time in the next decade. I don't know when this is going to happen, but I don't think the um, the discount uh, Costco, Aldi, and and, um, and um, Amazon are going to stop. Therefore, no. I wouldn't want to own it long term. Okay. But it's probably fine to own in the short term. Um, you know, but it's yeah, it's right. it's got a lot of competition coming. Okay. Well, do you do you prefer Coles or Woolworths? Have we passed the entitlement time for your Endeavour shares? I haven't checked that. Woolworths yeah. yet? Uh, is it a I don't know. Better business? Yeah. Um, Woolies is a better business uh, because of the Endeavour spin-off and you're going to get a bit of value there. Right. Okay. Um, Great household name. Um, Everyone's familiar with Coles. Everyone probably shops there from time to time. But that doesn't necessarily make it a good investment. It's not going to go belly up or anything like that. Um, The fact is it's got prime locations in every city and town throughout the country. Um, It's developing its its automation. Um, It's spending a lot on improving efficiencies and things like that which are meant to help maintain margins but that's a three four five year investment plan and that comes with risk obviously you can spend all this money and then margins still fall away but these big companies do have a track record of delivering that but i'm not going to pin my hopes on that just because they've done it in the past um woolworths and coles so so coles has about 80 percent of the revenue of woolworths so it's almost as big but not quite it's got 30 percent of the the market share in groceries domestically um, it's bouncing back from COVID because although there was the initial um, hoarding and stuff like that that people were doing with toilet paper, these businesses then struggled in the aftermath when yeah. not a lot was going on. Because um, <laughs> you had to use all. Yeah, because you had to use <laughs> off all your, tans, your, your, your tinned uh, baked beans. Dodge you've a little help. But yeah. um, <laughs> the, th- the thing as well with, um, with Coles, which I agree at, is Woolworths and Coles have the highest margins for grocery stores in the world. Yeah. Um, they've come down a long way. They're about four and a half, four, four and a half percent at the moment. Um, many of the analysts have five percent margins in their forecast going forward, mm-hmm. and that's on the expectation that this investment in new technology will be able to help them deliver those margins. But I think when the margins get too juicy, all it does is just incentivize someone to cut ramp up. Cut, a bit. Yeah, ramp up, and that's what yep. you see every every now and again. Going back a few years, it was Coles undercutting prices on Woolworths. Yeah. Then Woolworths were struggling for a bit and then they started undercutting or, or investing in, what do they call it? Investing in low prices where they cut prices to draw people through the door. So I just think you're gonna get this constant tit for tat which will 
could put a cap on margins, not to mention yeah. the foreign entrants that could still potentially really proliferate this market. Yes, there's Audi, Costco had a little bit of a dabble. There's been chat about Carefor coming into the market for a long time and, and yeah. I think people that little. So there's that risk, I think, from a long-term basis. Is there any urgency to sell out right this moment? Probably not. Um, but from a long-term standpoint, I just think you'll get most of your returns in, in dividends, probably. Right. A little bit of capital growth maybe on top as population grows, but that's about it. Okay. So no for you? Is no it for me. Is a better deal? It's a similar story, similar. but probably okay. better at this point in time. They've managed to do a, a good turnaround in recent times, yep. but much of a muchness, really. Okay. All right, let's recap the, uh, the final... Uh, five stocks, uh, points better, no, Marley Spooner, no, Northern Star, a yes, from both uh, Michael and Rob, Alumina, a no, and Coles, a no. So uh, uh, we have the iShares Government Inflation ETF, and Northern Star goes into the Coles portfolio. Rob Shears, great to have you from Thanks Valor. Thanks so much, thank you. And, and Michael Wayne from Medallion, always Thanks great to see you. Thanks for having me. All right, uh, if you'd like any stocks that you'd like our panel to look at, <coughs> Flick us an email, the call at oddsbiz.com.au or tweet us using the at TV handle. A reminder, all of the uh, <coughs> excuse me, uh, calls uh, portfolio, fantasy portfolio, you can find at oddsbiz.co forward slash portfolio. And if you want a complete wrap up of the day in markets and business, subscribe to the newsletter. You get Scuddy's View, the Close of Business podcast, links to all the uh, most popular videos and interviews during the day, subscribe at osbiz slash the COB. And uh, don't forget uh, the startup or or coming up in about uh, 10 minutes if you want to shake up your portfolio. Stay watching because coming up next is the Chief Investment Officer at Wilson Advisory, John Lockton. He takes us through the stocks he's buying to make the most of bond yields and the upcoming earnings season. That's from 1.10 p.m. Uh, So what's happening here on Oz Business Afternoon? We'll be back after this.